Before we get into James, and my task this morning to try and sort of huddle James together, I, I, I said to Jib this morning, there's so much in there, like when you preach on a, on a text, you can, you know, really dig deep and find out, but James has got like all these ideas, and you're trying to huddle, and you're like, what do you leave, what do you leave out, what do you say, how do you on earth make it comprehensive to explain the book of James in one session, so that's not possible, so we're not going to try, we'll just trust God, and we'll look at some beautiful things in James, but first I want to do a Mentimeter uh, Mentimeter is where if you just scan that QR code, it's going to ask two questions and we're going to see, get a sort of a, a, res- a group response from everyone. So just, yeah, grab your phone out. It's, and you, most times in church, we're like, please put your phone away. Don't take the call. But now is your, ch- now is your time. If you want to have a phone in church, now is your time. <laughs> All right. Can, and then let's go to the first question. We'll give, has everyone had a chance to do that? We'll give you another few moments. We're going to find out what's in your heart, hopefully. All right. All right. The, fir- <laughs> the first question. Oh, oh, it's evenly divided. <laughs> Which is more important, thinking correctly or acting correctly? <laughs> you can only vote once. You only have one vote, unfortunately. Ooh. Oh, it's close. <laughs> no. All right, pressure's on. You've got a few more seconds to choose. <laughs> What's the correct answer my daughter wants to know? <laughs> uh, you've been in school too long, Eden. You've been in school too long. Well, all right. Well, if, uh, for Eden and others who wanted to know, that was technically a trick question. <laughs> Because you can't, actually can't separate those. They, they kind of feed each other. You know, if you, the good, correct thinking feeds correct acting. Correct acting feeds back into correct thinking. And you can blow yourself up through either of them. <laughs> so it's a, tr- it's a little trick question, but it is good to know, like, where you lean to. You know, some people love Paul the Apostle because he's got long sentences. And they love to just ponder those and talk about them for days. Uh, we have some Singaporeans visiting from RHC. I think Singapore has a great culture of learning and understanding, and he's always thinking deeply about things. And that's wonderful. You, you can blow yourself up if you don't do that well. <laughs> but on the other side, there's also acting, pressing the gospel upon your will, upon your behaviors, which, and upon your heart. And so that's also important. And you can also think correctly, but blow yourself up in your behaviors. Any, anyone ever done that? It was just, just me. Yeah. Uh, me and Jib. All right. This is the two elders who know how to do that. That's great. Next question. Which of these would you like, would you most like to be different in your life? The things I say, <laughs> the way I think about others, unhelpful behaviors. Oh, Oh, behaviors. Oh, yeah. Well, that's interesting. Give you a few more moments. Okay, wonderful. All right, these are, uh, I set you up a little bit. These are actually three big themes in James where he talks about the tongue, uh, how we speak. 
He talks also about how we see and view others, what we think when we, you know, whether we're prejudiced or not, how we uh, think about others. And then also he talks about being t- keeping ourselves from being tainted by the world. So these are actually three big themes in James. Um, and, but he's very practical. So actually, it looks like this is a good series for our church because we've got 29 people who <laughs> would love to behave in different ways. <laughs> and I, I think all of us, in a sense, fit into all of those categories. But thanks for doing that. We'll, uh, that is anonymous in case you were uh, wondering. We're not going to tell your close friends or your wife what you, what you answered or aren't. Um, a little bit about James. James, he, as I said, he's the blue-collar blue theologian, the gangster theologian. He, at the same time, is a very humble man. He identifies himself as the servant of Jesus, although he was Jesus' half-brother. You know, if I was Jesus' half-brother, I'd be riding that cred all the way. I'd be like, yeah, you know, me and Jesus, we used to share a bunk, and uh, I don't have any bad stories about him because he was perfect, but I just want to let you know I was there for 30 of the years, and you were only there for three of the ministry years, Peter, so I've got a lot of cred. James is not like that at all. He's, he says, I'm, I'm the servant of Jesus. What an incredibly uh, different and humble uh, approach that he has to, I think, what most of ours or my approach certainly would be. He's a humble man, and yet this, this, uh, this booklet, this book that he writes, is very linked to the Sermon on the Mount. There's so many parallels between the words of Jesus and the words of James in this book. He has very practical help and application. He talks about the trials of life. Anyone been in a trial before? Again, just me and Jib, this congregation, wow. Oh, there, Adam, thank you. Three honest people in the congregation. No, you all nodded, you all nodded. (laughs) He talks about trials. He talks about becoming wiser. Sign me up. (laughs) Yep, I'm interested in that. (laughs) He talks about internal struggles, about dealing with anger, about taming the tongue, about transforming your heart, about overcoming partiality. Man, just hit after hit, right? Oh, wow. Drawing near to God. Yes, please. About humility, about conflict, about poverty and riches, about planning according to God's will. Anyone wanted to know how to walk out God's will? About patience. One of the sermons in the series is called Patience. You're becoming like God. This might take a while. (laughs) We are being transformed, but God is patient. So he speaks to patience, to care, and to prayer, and even to sickness. James speaks to so many things. When you come to Jesus, you know that you are moving from death to life. You are born again, not by good works, but by grace. You don't contribute to that. You are received by grace alone. You put your faith in Jesus, and you are born again. You are made new, and now you have a new heart, the Bible says. You have been given a new heart. That's the doctrine. You actually have a new heart. And you don't receive that by any works that you do. You receive it simply by believing upon the Lord Jesus. And that's the doctrine. And so James has that as a starting point. He knows that God gives us a new part. In fact, he mentions that event in James chapter 1. But you have a new heart. To say otherwise is a violation of the gospel. To say I don't have a new heart would be to disagree with the gospel. To say I can't Uh, have new affections would be to disagree with the gospel. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, but we have been given a new heart and help for new affections. 
And the Holy Spirit begins that transforming work in our lives, and we become more and more like Jesus. This may take a while. You are born again, and we know about it. And so the first thing I just want to mention is that the belief in the gospel is not a transaction in your brain. Belief in the gospel is not a transaction in your brain. The Bible teaches that we are a whole person. It says we have a heart, we have a mind, we have a strength. In fact, we're instructed to love God with everything we have, with our mind, with our heart, with our strength, with our every part of us is called to love God. There's no part of you that functions independently. What you do with your mind will affect who you are. What you do with your body matters. What you think matters. And so the Bible does say that the heart is the causal center of the person, that your desires spring from from there. You end up doing what you desire. That's why we need a new heart. We need new desires. So the Bible says there is a center to that person, and that's where your desires come from. But the gospel says you've been given a new heart, and that the gospel goes to work not only in the heart, but also across every part of us. The gospel is not just a heart matter. It's certainly not just a mental matter, i.e., I believe Jesus is God. That is not the summation of the gospel. The gospel works through every part of us. And so we press the gospel, yes, upon our hearts, and we ask the Holy Spirit, but also we do it upon our wills, the things I do, upon our actions. We can also press the gospel in these other ways. The heart is the causal center of your person. That's why we need a new heart. And so it's like a little bit like this. Think of a tripod. Yesterday, we, uh, I found a tri- uh, what do you call those things that look into the, uh, into the sky? Telescope. There you go. And we found this. I found a giant telescope that was left by the previous owners of our house. And it's got three legs. It's a tripod, right? And it wouldn't turn up. So you drop the one, and it, and it bends up, and you're chasing all the But I was thinking about this. When you take one of the legs away, what happens? just crashes over. And you can take anyone. And there's kind of this sense in which in in God, there's a few things going on which we give attention to. One of them is hearing and listening to His Word. There's a pillar and a foundation. James repeats that. He says, we've been born again by this Word, this Word that came to us. It gives us life. It makes us new. It's a core foundation. It's one of the uh, cores of life. Is, following, is hearing and listening to God's Word, which we do on a Sunday at Table Communities. Everything we do, we should be able to think back to God's Word and go, this is why I do it, because of this theology. So those of you who hate theology, you just want to do practical things. <laughs> Some of you are like that. And you just want to do... But you have to think about everything. When you're parenting, why do you discipline or not discipline your children? If you don't have a theological answer for that, find one. What does God's Word say? Everything, that's a key foundation. You will go astray if you do not follow God's Word. Then there's another aspect of walking with God, which is keeping in step with the Spirit, or another way of saying having an actual relationship with God. You know, the Pharisees knew all the, the, the words of, of the Torah. They knew everything. They knew much about the Word of God, but they didn't know God. There was a big problem going on. They had one leg on their tripod, and, they were, and Jesus is like, you, you're falling over. So we walk with God. We actually know God. Do you actually walk with God? Not do you know the entire Bible. That helps. Don't get rid of that leg. You're going to be in trouble if you do. But do you actually know God? Does God speak to you? Do you change? Are you come under the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit? 
Nothing good ever happens when you resist the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. When you don't, good comes. And so there's this other aspect. The third, another aspect, maybe a third leg of the tripod would be what's described as attending to good works. Attending to good works. Pressing upon your will. James was like this, looking after the, the poor, the widow, the broken. What are we, how are we going to, what, what action are we going to take in a sense? James got this call to attend to good works. Have you ever met someone who's so spiritual they know earthly good? Have you heard that phrase before? <laughs> Just walking around with Jesus. <laughs> you don't know what they're talking about, what they're saying. The Holy Spirit told me this. The Holy Spirit told me this. Two days later, the whole Holy Spirit told them something else, but nothing actually happened with the last thing they said. Another few day, weeks later, and they just aren't, it's like they're very spiritual. They seem to have a great relationship with God, but actually, there doesn't seem to be any attending to good works, any consistency. So these are three pillars. Do you want to do away with any of them? I suggest not. If you lean heavily on one pillar, grow some other pillars, grow some of the other legs. And this is where, this is where James really helps us. James really gets strong. Real straight shooter. For those of you who listen to country music, he's a real straight shooter. He's got a hairpin trigger. He just comes out and says it. James says he describes the Christian life. How might you describe the Christian life? And this is what James is doing. He's saying this is what it actually looks like. It's not just some theology in the head. It's not just me reading my Bible or just attending worship gatherings. This is what the Christian life looks like. And this is what God has called me to. He's called me to a new life, a new paradigm, a new principle, motivation. The rules of the game have changed. I'm coming out of my kingdom, out of my wants and needs and feelings, and I'm living in His kingdom. By His rules, the rules have completely shifted. The game has changed. I'm in His ways and His will. It's radically different. And this is what Jesus is actually describing in Matthew chapter 6 when He says, don't go after earthly treasures because they're in chronic decay. Change your whole operation. Pursue earthly, not don't pursue earthly treasures, but pursue heavenly ones. Finance, fame, security, even health are all things that are in serious decay, Jesus says. And they are ultimately the poorest of all investments. We are, invest, we are to invest in a heavenly and eternal economy. And so this is what James is calling us to. In very practical, and we'll look at a few in a moment. But Eugene Peterson has said the wonderful phrase, he said, grace is not opposed, or is opposed rather, to earning, but is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. You don't earn something from God. You don't earn your salvation. God loves you, welcomes you, accepts you, gives you the free gift of salvation. But grace is not opposed to effort. And this is where, where James is leaning and, and talking to us. And just in case you were wondering, there's no ways you can pull this off. <laughs> there's no ways you can pull off the book of James. You are never a grace graduate. As you continue to draw, you, this should conti- the book of James should continually draw you back to Jesus, going, I really need Jesus. It's like looking in a mirror and you're shocked. That's one of James's pictures. You look into the mirror and you're shocked. Anyone done that? As I'm getting older, you look in the mirror like, who's that? Oh, that's me. <laughs> Some nervous laughter. <laughs> When you, look in the, when you look into the mirror of James, the Word, that, and, and, it's, and just what's coming, you're like, oh, wow, I really need Jesus. 
I really need to rely upon Him. That's what this book should be doing to us. I am looking into the mirror of God's Word, and all, I, all it makes me do is run to Jesus. Now, I'm going to crank it up a little further than Eugene and add that grace is opposed to earning, but not opposed to effort, but grace also accompanies effort. God meets you when you trust Him, when you take, when you take a step in faith, when you do something. I really want to wring that person's neck. I'm not going to. You find grace because of it. It's an extreme example. We'll get into some more subtle ones in a minute, but we'll start, we'll start with the easy stuff. You know? <laughs> I really want to physically grab that person and strangle them. I'm really annoyed by that. I'm not going to because God's Word has taught me otherwise, and I found out later it was good not to do that because I'm not in prison now. But grace meets you to empower you. In fact, James says it like this. By the time he gets to chapter 4, he says, but God gives more grace. God gives more grace. There's no way we could ever pull this off. You are never a grace graduate. We continually draw close to Jesus. And so belief in the gospel is not just a transaction in your brain. It's a transformation of your heart. It changes who you are. Also, it changes how you think and how you act. With the help of the Holy Spirit, I press the gospel to my heart, but I also press it to my will. I also press it to my strength, to the things I do. And of course, Jesus is the ultimate example of this. Jesus humbled himself, became a human, and he confined his infinite God brain into a human brain. Jesus humbled his thought. Have you ever wondered about that? Jesus humbled his will and became obedient to the will of the Father. What his desires were. Jesus gave up his strength and in fact gave his whole life so that we might have strength for life. The path that we are called to is to follow Jesus in the way of Jesus, to submit our thoughts to God's thoughts. You know that God knows better than us? Do you really submit your thoughts to God? There's one pillar in your life which will be shaped by the Word of God. How do you think? Do you know more than God? Are you cleverer than God? I hope you don't think so. But often we live like that, and James pushes against us by very practical ways and gets us to stop thinking that we know best. We submit our will to His will and obey Him. We press the gospel upon our will. God, Your ways are definitely better than mine. I can tell you a hundred reasons why I think they're not, but God, Your ways are still better than mine. I submit my strength, and am, am I even willing to give up my life to receive His life? God's purpose and plans and ways are the best thing I could ever do. Until you pass through these, you have not begun to know and understand the gospel properly. The gospel is a dying, a surrendering of your mind, your will, your heart, and your actions. All of them, not just one of them. And this is where James is taking us. Are you serious about the lordship of Jesus? All right.
Whew, breathe in, breathe in, breathe out. You're okay. We're going to make it. <laughs> what a challenging mirror to look into, isn't it? So let's have a little bit of a look as, as we continue here in what James is saying. What is the message of James? I'm going to quote Jib here. He wrote the community group notes. Jib once said, Jesus saved us so that we could not, uh, when we could not save ourselves, but then what? <laughs> Jesus saved us when we could not save, not save ourselves, but then what? How should we live in the light of this gospel? The letter of James is full of answers to this question, wise proverbs interspersed with clear calls to action that make this book rich and dense with ve and very practical. James warns us against a passive faith that hears without doing and urges us towards an active faith that is made obvious by its works. This is a call to gospel living, and I want to add, not just gospel thinking. This is a call to gospel living. Eugene Peterson, in his introduction to James, describes what this book is doing like this. He says, when Christian believers gather in churches, that's us this morning, so this is definitely us, everything that can go wrong sooner or later does. <laughs> Thanks, Eugene. <laughs> Welcome to church. Outsiders observing this may conclude that there is nothing to the, this religion business except a bit of business and, some, and a dishonest business at that. Insiders see it differently. Just as hospitals collect sick people under their roof and label them as such, the church collects sinners. Welcome to church. <laughs> Many of the people outside the hospital are every bit as sick as the ones inside, but their illness is often undiagnosed and, un, and disguised. So Christian churches are not, as a rule, the mo uh, models of communities of good behavior. They are rather places where human misbehavior is brought out into the open, talked about, exposed. I need Jesus. I am desperate for Jesus in this way or that way is brought out into the open, faced and dealt with and rescued and redeemed and transformed and changed. The gospel doesn't just say, oh, we're a bunch of sinners, let's all get together and be sinners. The gospel says, let's get together and be honest that we're sinners, not hide it. We don't want a church where it's, everything's good, we're all good, we're all good, you guys good, don't say you're not, you're only good. <laughs> be very careful to say you're only good. <laughs> No, we're open on this, but then we also know that there is present help. There is the Holy Spirit. There is present resurrection and life available. We don't deny that part of the gospel either. And we say, Jesus, I know this may take some time. I'm becoming like you. This is definitely going to take some time. But I know I can respond to His Word in, by pressing it upon my heart, upon my mind, my thinking. I can challenge my own thing. I can challenge my own behaviors. I can do these things. And I say, God, then your word rescues me. I become different. Oh, who would love change in all those areas that James deals with in the beginning? Oh, God, help me rescue. I'm so excited for us as a church. We're going through this letter. God, would you rescue me and change me? We can be honest, but we can press the gospel upon our lives. What a privilege. The life of the believer will have trials. And this is my summary of James now, just quickly for you. The life of the believer will have trials. That's how he starts it out. Consider it all joy, brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. All joy? Really? Consider it all joy? Um, when I, I think we did the podcast with Steve on this. He's an accountant, Steve, our new elder. 
And that phrase says, count it all joy. I said, here's an accountant. He knows how to deal with these things. When you count it all joy, when you're an accountant, you take things and you put them in columns, right? I'm, I'll excuse my ignorance for the accountants in the room. But you, you just put them in columns, right? You go, this goes there, this goes there. Hang on, that's in the wrong column. Move it here. When you count it all joy, you take everything, all things, and you go, this is going in the joy column. Let's put it over there. That's joy. Now, I don't know how you do that, but that's what James is saying. I can count all things joy, yep, and then he explains how to get there, and hopefully, if, if you want to know how to do that, come to, come to this sermon on that, that text. We won't go, we won't, we won't steal that, that message, but you count it all joy, that's how he starts, but he starts off saying there are trials. Not, some of you might have trials, all of you, 100% of you will have trials. Oh, James, this is a confusing start. Joy, everyone's trial, yes. And so he says... Everyone will pass through trials. And then he gives to unpack. He says, you, you don't get through those by blaming God, chapter 1. You don't get through them by blaming God, but by asking God for wisdom. And God gives generously. He gives every good and perfect gift. Then he describes, what is that good and perfect gift? He says, it was Him who brought us forth, gave us birth. We were born again by His Word. What a gift. I have been born again. I've been given a new heart. How do we get through the trials? I trust and I put my trust, I steadfastly trust upon Jesus through difficult trials on the basis that I have a new heart, on the basis that Jesus is working in me. What a precious gift. And I live upon that word. When we fail to turn upon his word, we begin to break down and we, that's okay, it's just a, ba- it's just a baby. <laughs> We have many of those here. New, <laughs> new life comes, and James, in, in 126 and 27, he describes it like this. He says, if you, anyone who, who thinks his religion is something, but he actually, it says he doesn't control his tongue, or the way he treats the poor and the broken, treats others, or he is stained by the world, his religion is worthless. So James then starts to drop these big bombs. You know? He says, okay, you're going to go through some stuff. But God still calls you to this gospel to transform your life. And he gives three big indicators of how the gospel will transform your life. One, he says, your tongue, the way you speak is going to become different. Now, I know you're going to struggle with this. The other thing is how you think and treat other people is going to become different. Now, I know you struggle with this. And then he says, you're going to be, taint, want, be tainted by the world. You're going to have ways of the world. You're going to still struggle with lusts and desires and things that are worldly. So he lists these three things, and then he spends the next three chapters going through them. He unpacks, the tongue is set on fire by hell. <laughs> Thanks, James. <laughs> and he, and, but he ends, where does he end up? He says, no one can tame the, tame the tongue. And so if you read that portion, you're going to feel pretty heavy. But he's, he's expounding on what, what the, the gospel life can do. And he says, your tongue is a big deal. Then he says, how you think and treat other people is a big deal. And he spends chapter 3 in there being partial. When you come in, you're judging people. Oh, there's a rich person. That's a poor person. Let's be nice to them. Let's ignore them. How you treat it, God wants to change that. God wants to transform that. Then he goes in chapter 4 and talks about being stained by the world. We want to be friendly with the world. We want to enjoy worldly things. And he says, the gospel's calling you out of that. And he explains again how this is going to happen in the church. And so all three of these things, 
His whole point is, by the time he gets to chapter 4, and this is how you read the book of James. Don't read it in chapter, one, one little portion. <laughs> read it through, because when he lands in chapter 4, he says, but God gives more grace. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. We cannot sustain the book of James. We need God to provide grace, and we need God's compassion and mercy. That's James. He's leading us there. It's the same as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is just shooting from the hip, right? Gangster Jesus. The point you get to, who can do this? Oh, we need a rescuer. Oh, we need Jesus. There is sin in us, but Jesus gives more grace. Once we've failed, we can then look to the Word, the implanted Word, which is within us, and that actually transforms us. The Word has the power to transform us. You don't have the power to transform yourself. Receiving, believing, and acting upon this Word begins a transformation in us. James says that He brought us forth by the Word of truth. He, we, were made, we were born again that we should be a first fruits of creation. We should become fruitful. We should become fruitful as we respond to His Word. James 2 verse 13 says, he says, For judgment without mercy will be shown to those who show no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. The gospel is in James, which says, mercy will triumph over judgment. That's what God has done. And when we look into the mirror of chapters 2, 3, and 4, we end up saying, I do not like what I see in this mirror. And I'm not talking about my face. I'm talking about something else. And then James says, when we look into that mirror, it says, but he gives more grace. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. To those who admit, who say, yes, I need help. I need transformation. How we consider... How James lands in chapter 5, he says, again, he just lands in that phrase, but God himself is gracious and merciful, compassionate and merciful. James calls us to be steadfast in trials, and he gives us the example of Job, and he says, through this steadfastness, Job saw the purposes of God. He saw the will of God. And he, he discovered that God was gracious and compassionate. Steadfastness is both a gift and a calling. We need Jesus to be steadfast. Is any of you as steadfast as Jesus? Perfectly steadfast in everything you do? You're not. But Jesus is, and he's promised that he will complete in you the work he began. Jesus is steadfast enough to transform you into his image. And the scarier part of that is that he's committed to doing it. <laughs> and he's pretty good at it. And so trial is an opportunity for where God is laying hold of you to transform you. And most often we are screaming for the exit. We are running away. But Jesus committed to it, so he just lets it go on or brings it back <laughs> in a new form. Jesus wants to transform us. And he's committed to doing it. So we can then submit humbly to that transformation. You can, I honestly believe you can accelerate your growth in God. You can. 
by responding to God's, God's Word bears fruit. If you resist it, it doesn't bear fruit. And Jesus has to humble you some more, and He's able to do it. That's, that's the hard, scary version. Turn quickly to God. Draw near to God is how James puts it. Why, why don't you, after, after three or four chapters, he says, why don't you draw near to God? This is what James's call is, his message to us. Draw near to God. This is how you read James. It's a steadfastness is a gift which is coming from God. He will complete this work. But it's also a calling. He calls us to be steadfast. Steadfast in obeying his will. Steadfast in obeying his ways. The gospel is not opposed to steadfastness or to effort or to pursuing God, to drawing near to God. Those who receive grace now find there's a calling to live in grace to, to, and find that as we pursue God, grace rushes to us. Grace comes to us. The gospel is at work. God is at work in trials, but God is also generous. He gives a good gift, His Word, His Son. He's brought us forth into it. God loves the poor and the lonely. God is impartial. God gets mercy to triumph over justice, judgment, sorry. God gives peace through heavenly wisdom. God gives the gift of wisdom to fools, which is you and me, if you didn't know. We're so unwise. God gives us the gift of wisdom. He shows us our sin, and then He gives more grace. He exposed us. Not all at once. I think we'd just die probably if we saw everything in our hearts. But He brings us to a place of humility, and then grace rushes in. He is compassionate and merciful. Yes, God comes near to sinners. Those who are saved by grace find that there is a call to live by grace, the call to gospel living. The gospel is easily eroded in our lives in our speech, in how we treat others, and in the desire to be worldly, to be honest. Pressing the gospel to our will is also a good thing. We start with the easy examples I did already. I want to strangle that person. It's good that I don't, because God's ways are better. How about I want to let rip with my words? And I just want to, because I really feel angry right now. God's ways are better. I want to talk about others in a relationship-destroying way, and I want to say that it's, I'm just getting the real story. No, it's ungodly behavior, James. It's self-atoning arguments. I want to say what it, this is okay about something which God says is not okay. It's self-atonement. It's not relying on, it's not the gospel, it's the opposite of the gospel. I want to say it's okay to think that that person is behaving wrongly, and I would never do that. I want to look down on them. God's ways are better than my ways. I can press the gospel upon my will and refuse to do that. With the help of the Holy Spirit, of course, but being aware What's, what are my actions? What are my thoughts? God's ways are better than my ways. Me sp shooting my mouth off is not God's ways. Me thinking things in my heart and harboring things. and I didn't say anything, but inside I was, you, you probably could have told <laughs> on the inside something. Anna and I were walking on the beach yesterday and this exact thing happened. <laughs> we were having some discussions and Anna and I are those exact two points. Anna likes to say things and I like to just steam on the inside, yeah. 
the gospel says, calls us to something different. If the sin, weakness, and failure of others doesn't cause in you compassion, that response is always born out of self-righteousness. The sin, weakness, and failures of others doesn't cause compassion. It causes irritation in you. That response is always born out of self-righteousness. No exceptions. I know because I do it so often. Maybe you really want to revenge procrastinate. Have you heard of that? <laughs> Everything's going on so busy in your life that when you get home, you just don't anyone to talk to you. I'm going to watch Netflix. I'm going to watch six seasons of this thing and just, I know I should go to bed, but no. I'm taking back revenge procrastinate. I'm taking back my life. And I'm watching 10 TV. <laughs> yeah? If it's just me and Jib again. Oh, sorry, Jib. Maybe we should send everyone home. This is just for us. God's ways are better than my ways. This is where the rubber meets the road kind of gospel James is talking about. I don't want to discipline my child. Culture says I shouldn't. Do you know why? What scripture do you have for that? God's ways are better than my ways. I want to think like an autonomous Westerner. You do that automatically. We have to fight that in our hearts, in our minds, and in our behaviors. James calls us to it. We need to abandon the demonic lie that I am an independent and autonomous human being. You are not. You do not have what you need within you to do what you're supposed to do and be who you're supposed to be without God's people and God himself. You just don't. The demonic lie that the chief goal of your life is to live your best life. What utter nonsense. Hurrah. <laughs> this is what happens, isn't it? We say that things are okay that God says are not okay. And this is what James is just pointing out. Thing after thing. Saying, God says it's not okay, but we might think it's okay. We live largely in the mundane, not the dramatic. And James is pointing out the mundane. The daily things, you know, some of us want to live in the dramatic, the big moments of life, you know, the big events of life. James is talking right to the mundane, to the what happened there, what happened here. We work to say that something is okay, that God has said is not okay. The self-atoning arguments are actually enemies of grace, not grace. Isn't it amazing how we twist that? Oh, we just need a bit more grace so I can do what I want. Actually, that's an enemy of grace. You find that cuts off the grace of God. When we submit and, and rush towards God, we find grace comes. Enabling and empowering grace comes. And we count it all joy. That is a statement you can't fake. How do you count all joy? You have to, you have to trust the gospel. You have to believe on the gospel. Come to, and trust in Jesus. Can't fake that one. Gospel living is humble and always learning. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said. How approachable are you really? How approachable are you really? I just want to bring this to a close. I'm going to hand over to Jib to do, take us to communion. But I hope I've tried to sort of gather up some of the things James has said and try to put them before us, make us semi-excited, but also maybe a little bit nervous about this series.
Um, there's such gospel goodness here. There's such goodness. There's such joy. There's such release. There's such freedom to come into. And, but it takes some rearranging of ourselves because the way we've arranged ourselves isn't working. The ways of the world aren't working. The gospel works. The gospel functions in real life. But it doesn't just happen there by thinking only or by doing a few, th- you know, doing some nice things only. You have to transform every part of you submitted to the will of God, to the ways of God. This is such a great gospel call. What part of your life will you press the gospel upon? Upon your mind, you may have done that very well for 20 years. Could I say, give attention to some other legs of the tripod. If your mind is sharp on the gospel, you think it is, remain humble. No one's mind is perfectly sharp on the gospel. (laughs) But if you've done that many times and well, give yourself to um, heart and desires and think, pray, Holy Spirit, help me to transform. Uh, Then ask God for help in the practical areas. God, may I not speak like that. And then actually in those moments, trust God to behave differently. Not because you're earning something, but because this is the call of gospel and because you will find the grace of God rushing towards you in these things. How will you press the gospel upon your mind, upon your heart, and upon your strength? My prayer is that in this series we will learn to do it well, to press the gospel on our minds, our hearts, and our strengths, our actions. For now to Him, Jesus, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to Jesus be glory in the church, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks, Chief.